0: Hey, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Ashley. And you're listening to All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. We want to create a space for all bodies to come together authentically and purposefully to discuss various areas that impact us on a cultural and relational level. We believe that
1: all bodies and all foods are welcome. We would love for you to join us on this journey. Let's learn together. Hello and welcome back to another episode on All Bodies, All Foods. I am so grateful today. We have a terrific episode for you, a recovery story. I am a big believer that to have hope and to hold on to hope, hearing stories like this can be so helpful to our audience members. Whether you're someone who's struggling with an eating disorder or you know someone who might be struggling, this is the episode for you. This is all about ARFID recovery today. And some of you might be wondering what ARFID is. Maybe you've never even heard of it. It may be more familiar to you than you realize. ARFID is colloquially known as picky eating, but it's much more complex than that. It's a mental health diagnosis and the symptoms of ARFID often interfere with everyday life and can cause severe medical, emotional, and social consequences. According to the DSM-5, ARFID stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, and it's an eating or feeding disturbance. For example, it could be a lack of interest in eating or a lack of interest in food, avoidance of food based on the sensory characteristics of it, concern about the aversive consequences of eating, and it's manifested by persistent failure to meet appropriate nutritional and or energy needs. It can be associated with significant weight loss, failure to achieve expected weight gain and growth, nutritional deficiencies. Sometimes there's even dependence on supplements or enteral feeding, and there can be marked interference with psychosocial functioning. Today, we have Mia here with us, who is a Renfrew Center alum and a social media mental health advocate. Mia is currently a college student majoring in social work and is passionate about educating people on the signs of ARFID and sharing that recovery is possible. Using her past experience as a launchpad for change, Mia is starting to write and speak about her mental health journey in hopes it will help other people feel less alone and find the help they need. Welcome to the episode, Mia. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Hello. We are so... Grateful to have you on today to help people better understand ARFID, to help people know that there's hope because you've been through it. You know what it's like, and definitely, yeah. Maybe we can just start out. What was your experience with ARFID, and when did you first discover that this is really a lot more than just picky eating? Sure.
2: Yeah. So. I had no idea what ARFID was. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know that I had an eating disorder. I didn't know that my struggles were classified as an eating disorder. For a long time, I had a fear surrounding food that if I ate it, I would go into anaphylactic shock, that I would have an allergic reaction, that I would choke. And it really developed over the course of a couple years. Uh But it got very intense right before I went into Renfrew and realized, wait a second, this actually
1: is a problem. Mm, mm -hmm. So you didn't even realize this was a mental health disorder. I didn't. I genuinely thought like
2: when my brain was saying this is unsafe or don't eat this or like you don't even want food. I had no idea. Like I thought my brain was protecting myself. So
1: yeah, I had absolutely no idea what this was. Right. Your brain was just telling you food is dangerous. Stay away from it. Right. It was trying to protect you.
2: Right. And I thought I was doing the right thing. And no one around me noticed it as anything either. They just thought,
1: yeah, picky eating. Gotcha. I see. Okay. What And yeah. when did this, I mean, I'm curious, when did it start? What was your family's reaction to this? I know there's probably parents out there listening. I'm curious, like, what was your experience in your family? Sure. So like I said, this kind of built up over a
2: couple of years, but in the fall of 2020, that's when doctors, um, and loved ones around me were like, Hey girl, like mm-hmm. you need to do something. This isn't right. This isn't normal. And you're honestly in danger. Like you're not in a good place and you need to do something to get healthy and make a change in your life. And it came as a shock for everyone. Um. I think the shock came because there's such a stigma around eating disorders. Yeah. And yeah. so my family, I mean, my mom was the first one who was in contact with people and was the one who told me like, Hey, we're recommending you for treatment. And it was, she was shocked as well. Cause I wasn't yeah. doing this on purpose. You could say, or like intentionally.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. So she was shocked. My sisters, like my family, everyone, even my friends, everybody was like, we had no idea you were struggling with something, no idea it was an eating disorder. So it was really a surprise for everybody. Mm, It was shocking. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really hard for me because I thought, I mean, I remember telling my mom, I was like, I do not have an eating disorder. Mm. I'm not, I would always say like those people, like I'm not in this, like I didn't want to label on me because in my mind, as I said, I wasn't doing this on purpose. Right. So when she told me I was like, yeah right. what do these
0: people know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, right mean yeah. Right. I'm I'm curious so we know that like eating disorders impact us in various avenues of our life like like our family relationships, our mm-hmm. work, our schoolwork, our friendships, all of that jazz. were you noticing things shift prior to you know, being told you needed to go to treatment or how was, how was ARFID? We know that it was ARFID at this point, yes. but prior to even knowing that, how was that interfering with those different avenues?
2: So there was a time where, which I didn't notice it until I was farther removed and okay. like had a name for what I was struggling with. But looking back now, you know, I highly disliked eating around people. I felt a lot of anxiety. I mean, sharing a meal with somebody, uh, uh-uh, there was no way that yeah. brought on so much anxiety. I didn't like eating in restaurants, like public eating was terrifying to me and really brought on the symptoms of our like the anxiety behind it. Mm -hmm. And it made things so complicated. So one of the things I really struggled with was, as I mentioned, I had a fear of anaphylactic shock. Mm -hmm. So I would tell people I'm allergic to this. So say I'd go to somebody's house and they'd be like, we're having this for dinner. And I'd be like, Oh, so sorry. Like, I'm allergic to that because I genuinely thought it was an allergic reaction. So everywhere I went, I made it really complicated because mm. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I can't have this. I can't have that. I can't have this. And people would be like, what? Like, what mm-hmm. can you eat? I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, don't worry about me. Like, mm-hmm. so really interfered with social dynamics a lot.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You talk about that it brought on anxiety. Did you notice any other? emotional experiences that traveled along with our definitely okay so definitely
2: anxiety but disgust not okay. low low interest um and at a time like when I entered treatment a lot of I want to say sadness because mm-hmm. I felt really connected to my problem that it was like my problem my fault mm-hmm. so sadness anger at times um, and just, just not interested in food. Mm -hmm. There was a lot
1: attached to it, like a lot of really strong emotions. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Wow. So what about what you were? So were you in school at this time? Mm -hmm. So I was was a junior in high school. And and do you think it was impacting school at all? Or I know everyone's different for some folks, you know, that denial, I think, is really common with mm-hmm. eating disorders and minimization, especially if someone is doing okay in school. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering what your experience was in school and whether or not ARFID impacted that. Yeah. So I think luckily,
2: the my peak point when I was really, really struggling with ARFID, it was right after COVID. So I wasn't okay. actually like totally in school. Mm -hmm. I think if I had been in school, it would have impacted me a lot more. Um, Mm -hmm. But in a way, it was a a different set of challenges because I was just at home surrounded by like food, by on my schedule. Like if that makes any sense. I don't know if that does.
0: Mm -hmm. No, it yeah, it does.
1: So with school, um, it seemed like maybe that wasn't Going to stand out as much to other people. I think mm-hmm. sometimes parents, right. especially parents, will say, "Well, my kid is doing fine in school. You know, they're it, it, you know, there there's parts of their lives that they're really they seem to be thriving. Mm-hmm. And, and yet the eating disorder is affecting their mental health, their emotional health, their right. social life. And I think it is important for, Folks out there who have a loved one who might be struggling, to know that sometimes there are areas that maybe aren't as affected as others, but it doesn't mean someone isn't suffering.
2: Right, Mm -hmm. and I think that's where like the denial really played a huge part because yeah, to everyone else, I looked like I had it all together. Mm -hmm. My grades were fine, my social like relationships were pretty good, and I seemed like I had it all together. But on the inside, that's where it was tormenting me and just ripping me apart. But yeah. because I didn't have a name, like I had no idea about ARFID. I was not educated about it in school. I think in like health class, I learned about anorexia, bulimia, but I right. never heard of ARFID. So yeah, on the outside, I'm sure it looked like it was fine. But on the inside, that's where it was a hot mess. Right, right. Mia,
0: I'm curious. So you, so you were saying like, it full on felt to you, like not an eating disorder. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this intentionally based on eating disorder stigma. Like this is not where I'm at. Did you have like an awareness that like something was shifting though, that like I, I was internally being tormented or Mm -hmm. something is not right. Like, um, or maybe like the catalyst that sent you to the doctor that even recommended treatment, you know, um, Mm -hmm. What was going on internally, I guess?
2: So I think I knew deep down that something okay. wasn't right. Okay. Because years past, I loved food. Like my God. family is a family who I think connected over food, like, you know, family yeah. dinners at my yeah. grandparents. Um, and I used to find excitement around, you know, special meals, and I was an athlete. So I, I understood the importance of nutrition. So I think I knew something wasn't right.
0: Gotcha. But
2: when you are so far into a place that says you are doing the right thing. Yeah. I think it really wasn't until somebody gave me a wake up call. I mm-hmm. don't know that I would have if somebody else hadn't stepped in. I'm not sure I would have ever come around to that if that makes sense like I knew the fear wasn't normal because sure I have siblings I have lots of close friends who I knew didn't have a quote-unquote problem with food and I was seeing that so I knew something wasn't like normal but I don't know that I knew or really believed I guess would be the better word that it was like a problem Mm -hmm. or something that needed help and treatment right yeah.
0: i think that's so helpful for our listeners to hear because especially like you were mentioning you were a junior in high school mm-hmm. and um you know i when i do presentations sometimes i talk about eating disorder myths mm-hmm. and one of the myths is that um an adolescent might be doing this to quote unquote punish their parent right and like mm-hmm. the the reality is it is often it it begins so innocently like you were saying and so unintentionally um and you really don't know that it's affecting you negatively that much until you are like in the trenches right oh absolutely absolutely I know when I first entered treatment I told my mom like the day
2: I went to Renfrew I told her I don't have an eating disorder but I'll go I mean I was that nothing's wrong with me like yeah well, and yet
0: something geez. compelled you to give it a go. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Do you
1: mm-hmm. Mia, do you remember what was going through your head that first day of treatment? I mean, you're having this thought yeah. like, I don't have an eating disorder. I imagine maybe even thinking like, I don't belong here. What kind of, yeah, what kind of experiences were you having that day? I remember I
2: remember my whole Renfer experience very vividly, Mm. which is odd because it was such like a mental fog time, Yeah, but it was just so transforming. I think it'll stick with me always. I remember walking in and I had the thought that you just mentioned, I don't belong here. Mm, I was like, I am not one of these people, but there was something in me where I, I just thought, I'll give it a go, which I think now in hindsight, it was that voice inside where it's like, Mm. we're not as like good as we could be. You really are struggling. Like the self-compassion piece. Yeah. But I remember, you know, walking in, seeing what the treatment center looked like, seeing the people around. And I just thought, I am not struggling like this person. I am not struggling like that person. Mm. You know, this this isn't gonna do anything because I don't have a problem. Mm. And, you know. It was a heavy day because I had no idea what I was getting into. I truthfully did it like for my mom, for my family. Mm. Um, Sure, I'll go. There's nothing wrong with me. Definitely kept that tagline for a while until I was in treatment and had that wake up call, for sure. I think that's so
1: common. You know, so many folks go into treatment and they're, you know, they're thinking, "I'm, I'm just doing this for... So-and-so, you know, I'm just going to, yeah. this is not for me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's like this guilt or maybe shame that there's not that internal motivation. Yes. And at the same time, if you're, it's okay to do it for someone else at first. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And maybe things shift eventually where you start to realize, oh, there's something in it for me in recovery. Right. No,
2: I I felt this really big sense of guilt because for the beginning of treatment, I genuinely thought I was like, this is going to sound odd, like abusing the system. I was like, there's people Mm -hmm. out there who are Mm -hmm. sicker than I am.
1: Yeah. I'm, Mm -hmm. I
2: am using a spot in treatment that somebody else could desperately need. Right. And I didn't realize that I was the one who was in desperate need and I needed to be there. I needed to change my life up. Yeah. So yeah, that guilt, I relate to that 100%,
0: like so much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I can't tell you how many times probably Sam and I have both heard that, like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sick enough. I'm taking up somebody else's space. Yeah. That guilt just plagues, you know, right? you initially, um, I'm curious, like, what was it like when you felt that shift when like, or maybe can you describe like the light bulb moment when you were like, Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) So it's so funny. I just passed my two year anniversary from recovery, um, or to starting recovery and thank you. And so I pulled out my journals that I kept at Renfrew. And there was one day and I literally wrote, I was like, oh, so I do have an eating disorder. I was (laughs) like, this morning I found out, like found out, even though obviously everybody's telling me I'm in treatment, which you don't just walk into like, there's things that lead up to it, you know? Um, and I think it really came from the vulnerability I was hearing from other people and the way I was able to take other people's stories and maybe. So I've always been somebody who really connects with people. I'm a huge extrovert. I love hearing people's stories. And at first in treatment, I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't relate. But I think the shift came when I kept hearing people's stories, I kept, you know, talking to the counselors, the therapists, and I was able to take like, wait, I do struggle with that. Oh wait, I do struggle with that. And I was able to piece together what was in my atmosphere to make like what I was struggling with that really outlined My problems, which this sounds very abstract, but it was really through the vulnerability all around me that I was able to go, you know what? I need to do something. And the little piece inside of me, like the outside connections where I thought, I don't want to stay here. I have dreams. I have things I want to do. And for that to happen, I need to make a change. And it was a huge wake-up call. Yeah. Because it's an interesting transition when it first you're like, Nope, I don't relate with that person. I don't relate with that person. And then you're like, Oh, but I, I do relate with that part of their story. Oh, that counselor had a really good tidbit of information and you bring it all together. And that's where I was like, this is my struggle. And it doesn't have to be like somebody else's struggle, right. which is, I think something I really challenged with, um, or fought with, but when it all came together, that was my wake up call. I was like, yeah. wow. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. Wow. You know, it's such a great example of how everyone, no matter what diagnosis you're coming in with, Mm -hmm. everyone's recovery is unique. Mm. And the more you share with each other, you start to Mm -hmm. realize, wow, I relate to that experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just so many human experiences that are part of eating disorder recovery and mental health in general. And it sounds like you started to just keep your ears open for. Yeah. Know, what, what, what resonates with me mm-hmm. and taking what makes sense for you and sort of leaving the rest. Yeah. yeah. And
2: I'd say another thing came through the form of validation. Mm. When I, you know, sat down with my therapist, my treatment team, and they said, hey, there's nothing wrong with you, but there's a name for what you're struggling with. Holy cow. Mm. Like yeah. that was so validating because I thought, oh, like, okay, I'm not, crazy Mm, you know there's a Mm. reason and there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with me that I'm struggling Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. not a problem and I think when that all came together and they said you have ARFID it's avoidant restrictive food intake disorder I thought oh my word I'm not I'm not crazy I'm not in my head and I think that too was a huge turning point was just the affirmation that like there's a name for this and if there's a name you can make a change you can turn it around and you can
0: get help yeah
1: right what a relief to have a relief. absolutely exactly
0: Mia, Sam and I did a couple episodes earlier in the season on lesser known eating disorders. And specifically, we we talked about ARFID, but we also said we're going to interview someone, you know, in recovery yeah. from ARFID. And so we we didn't go into detail, but that is just one of the reasons why we did that particular or those particular episodes is because I think kind of what you were thinking similarly in the past, we've maybe in health class or, or even like seen on TV, right. Only the information about anorexia, bulimia may, may be binge eating disorder. Maybe not. Um, it's like a spectrum of stuff Mm. that people can deal with. Right. Mm -hmm. And ARFID, right. Like you, there is a name for Mm -hmm. what you were going through. And, um, and I, I, I am encouraged to hear that you said you felt validated because I just, I feel like you know, being able to share this with the community now that there is a spectrum of this stuff mm-hmm. that other people will feel seen and heard as well. You Absolutely. know, um, and I, I have one more question about treatment. I'm, I'm just kind of curious. So like when you had your aha moment and you were like, okay, you know, I do have ARFID, like I'm experiencing ARFID And I'm in this community and these people have been so vulnerable and they've been sharing so much information. I'm curious what that experience was like for you to be able to start putting words to your experience. Like, were you scared? (laughs) Were you nervous? How was that to be able to start expressing what you were experiencing? Great
2: question. I would say I there's just such bone like power in vulnerability, yeah. And being in a space where it wasn't seen as weird, just incredible. I, that's all I got. Is I yeah. mean, it's incredible to be able, yeah, to name the struggle, then start talking about it, and I think a lot of healing came from that. Yeah. Um,
1: and yeah, just incredible, yeah, well, what what seems like is the root is everyone there is conquering fear
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: no matter what you're walking in the door with, yeah. it's really about courage, yes, a lot of courage. you know whether it's a fear of food or fear of talking about emotions or fear of vulnerability? Really, that's at the root. And I'm a big believer that if we can target the avoidance of fear, so many other things get resolved in mental health. Yes. Mia, do you feel like conquering fear was a part of your journey? Yes, 100%. I realized
2: that, you know, I wasn't actually fearing the food, right? The food Mm. was. The umbrella, you could say. It took the inner work, the emotional work to heal the issues that had been created with food. Like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't, nobody I think is inherently scared of food. There is something that's making you Mm -hmm. scared of the food or scared of what the food is going to do. And so my issues attacked you know, what was in front of me, something tangible, something I could control. I think the inner work, the emotional work, sitting down, talking about my feelings, being honest with my therapist, having people speak into me and attack that fear. That's what healed me. Like that's Mm. what transformed my relationship with food and transformed my relationship with my body, with my mind, it all came from that work that you do when you're sitting with your emotions, when you're tolerating your emotions, and really dissecting them and seeing why am I feeling this way? What is this fear telling me? What's connected yeah. to this fear? That's I think, I mean, it's hard work, but that is the
0: work I think that's transforming in recovery. Yeah, wow. So you were able to do that at Renfrew in in the recovery in the treatment center. So I'm curious what was that like? treatment or not treatment wise, but like still kind of overcoming that fear when you stepped out of treatment, like when you went home, um, when you talked to your family, to your friends, were you able to be vulnerable there? Kind of what was that and, or how could they support you? Right. You know, kind of all of those questions, but
2: sure. So there's, there was a couple sides to things. So when I left treatment, it was a really hard transition. I think, okay. you know, you're kind of in a bubble, you step out and you're like, oh, wow, like I need to do this for real. Yeah. At first, it was really difficult, but I think I had an advantage. So this is going to sound weird, but an advantage of the stigma, right? Because I understood what it was like to not be validated, to not have a name. Sure. And then I had the perspective of what it felt like to be affirmed. So I I was able to bring the two sides together and have grace with my family and friends, Mm -hmm. but infiltrate that grace into like sharing with them. Like I just was really passionate about telling them the, what I had seen. And I think so their side, like it's all these different pieces, you know, that come together. I, I think of like a puzzle and some of the things they did to support me were they would sit with me. Mm-hmm. That was a huge thing. Like I, I just wanted support. Cause when you go from having people all around you, I was yeah. so scared of feeling alone again because yeah. i worked so hard to not be alone. Yeah. So, you know, having family and friends just sit with me and me be able to share with them and just have them listen was huge. Yeah. I mean, cause it's just, it's such a heavy thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so yeah, it would just,
1: yeah. Well, so Well, yeah, yeah. The, the power of validation. validation. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Right. That's something I would definitely go off of. A validation is so, so big. Like, and I think that's what made my transition home. Okay. Was me taking the lesson. It's okay to be vulnerable and then having people who were then educated be able to be vulnerable with, like, hey, like we didn't know you were struggling with this, and once again, just that whole that puzzle frame where it's like all these different pieces just come together, mm-hmm. and and it shows you that it really does take a village, but it takes a lot of inner work too. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it really like we are kind of encouraged, taught, if you will, that like we have to start speaking our experience and our needs Mm -hmm. with the people that love us and support us Mm -hmm. so that they can understand and, and better be able to love us and support us.
1: Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This part of your story is so important, Mia, because it's helping folks understand out there that eating disorder recovery is so much more than just facing fear foods, Mm, I think there's such a misconception that eating disorder recovery is all about food and just getting the person to eat. Yes. Right? (laughs) Yeah. And the deeper emotional work, it's hard to sort of wrap your mind around how it's all connected, but it Mm -hmm. really is. It's so connected. Every part, Mm -hmm. every part. Yeah. And so it was that deeper work that
0: really got you to a place of healing. Yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I was just sitting here thinking, Sam, when you were saying that we honestly really haven't talked about food too much at all. It's mostly been about that deeper emotional education, that emotional knowledge, being Mm -hmm. vulnerable, learning how to speak your needs. That's really a lot of what the eating disorder work is. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And of course, you know, exposure work with the food is part of it. You know, I was curious, Mia, you know, there's so many different parts of treatment Mm -hmm. with ARFID. You know, there's the exposure work usually with an occupational therapist. Then there's the emotional work. There's family work. There's even just work that happens in the community that you don't even realize is part of the work, you know, opening up Mm -hmm. to community members. What was you know, what were the transformative parts of treatment for you? What was most helpful that moved you forward in recovery?
2: A couple of things. So I would say the largest, like most helpful thing was the exposure work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At first, <laughs> so when with OT, the first time they sat me down for an exposure, I was like, what do you mean? Like, what, <laughs> what is this? I was like, why on earth would you literally expose me to what I'm absolutely terrified of? Right. Wow. And I, I still remember my first exposure. Like she gave me the exposure and I, I literally was like so confused, mm-hmm. but I would have to say exposure work, life changing. Wow. I'd never heard of it before. I did not understand the concept at all. But once it was explained to me, and I really, you know, tolerated those hard emotions, it that was transforming. Like, absolutely. that. So that was incredible. I really loved the one-on-one therapy, yeah. getting to those deeper issues. Um, I loved the different groups. I thought were great because as we mentioned, like, the I, I had only ever heard of a couple eating disorders, and so the groups where we were taught about all these different aspects mm-hmm. were fantastic because yeah. that's how everything came together for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved art therapy; it was incredible for me. Yeah. That was so amazing, and I just really love like the hands on helping me like see my emotions yeah. in these different groups. Was just amazing. The whole therapeutic atmosphere was nothing I'd ever experienced before. And so I love, like, at Renfrew, there was all these different pieces and there was all this different space I could walk into, but all the different spaces were helping me with the one goal, which was recovery and getting better. So I honestly, there were so many, like, I couldn't name just one part. Of treatment that was really, really helpful. Those are just a few. I mean, it just all came together and was life-changing.
0: Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. That's, That's incredible. Art <laughs> can be
1: so powerful. It's, yes. you know, we don't think of, all, you know, we, when we think of therapy, I think many people just think of talk therapy and art yes. therapy is a totally different way to express your emotions using a completely different part of your brain. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it can be so powerful. I'm glad you found that so helpful.
2: Yeah, lots of learning, lots of learning, but
0: mm-hmm. really beautiful.
1: Did so your family? At, oh yeah. Did your family have to do work too? Yes. Yeah. One hundred percent.
2: Yeah. I mean, there was a huge family aspect. I mean, I'm so thankful they put in the work because I have heard so yeah. many stories, you know, where there's not that support. I was so blessed to have that um, family support. But it was rewiring, honestly, if you go down to the base of it, rewiring because they didn't know about ARFID either, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So yeah, they, we did like family therapy through Renfrew. I think the education that came from the team was just incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, They provided my family with resources, outpatient resources, and really prepared my family for when I came back home. Yeah. And a big part of that was education, which I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of this conversation is coming back to like that validation, that education piece,
0: Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Well, families don't know. I mean, if you've never been in this experience before, right? Like You legit have no idea how to move forward with this. So the educational component is so imperative, not only for you as the person that's in treatment, but also for that, whoever your support system is, Mm -hmm. um, because they're, you know, you're, you're being inundated in treatment, Mia, like constantly, you know, information is flying at you. Your family is not though. And so making sure, right, exactly. Making sure that they are getting those educational components, having those family therapy sessions with you, reading some outside resources, like that's so helpful. And I'm thankful that your family was able to do that as well. Yes, so
2: helpful, so important. Just such a large aspect of learning. You yeah. know and you just you have to be willing, and you just there's just so much out there, and it's just I'm just so passionate about it that people need to know, yeah people need to be educated because yeah. otherwise there's so many people who are gonna struggle, yeah if we keep this mindset of like there's only this issue and this issue, you know we need to name things. I'm just so thankful, yeah, that I have that support system around me, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what does recovery look like, Mia? What does life look like for you now?
2: <laughs> it is so beautiful. I yeah. love, I always get so emotional when I think about like my time in treatment, the hardest times versus now, because these are the days that I dreamed of. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. I would sit at through. I'd be journaling, you know, talking about how I had this exposure, that exposure. And then I'd be like, but I really can't wait to do this. I really hope one day I can do that. And now I'm here and it's like, it's incredible. I love it. You know, I love social gatherings. I love advocating. I love using my experiences as a launch pad. Um, I, it's just, it's so beautiful and so fun when your mind is not focused on like scary food. (laughs) I don't know how how else to say it. Like it is so freeing to realize that this is an important part for sure, but it is such a small part in the scope of like how big life is how much opportunity is out there so yeah i just i am a busy gal i love to keep things you know fun and fresh and do a ton <laughs> of things but i'm just so grateful like recovery gave me all of this it's letting me mm-hmm. study something i love in college it's letting me have these re- healthy relationships um you know Travel, be involved in my community, and it's just incredible like i I now love life. There was a time I was just in a bubble of so much fear, never thought yeah. things were going to change, yeah. wanted them to change, but was scared and it's just it really makes my heart full to see that it is so possible to have a life that you love mm. and to have a life that you're not scared of, you're not you know controlled by something, yeah. It is just a really beautiful thing to feel free. And I'm just so thankful that recovery gave me that freedom.
1: Ah, that, I love that. That warms <laughs> my heart. Oh, that's I feel like a round of applause. Know, that's <laughs> yeah, Mia, yeah, there are people probably out listening to this episode and they're struggling silently with ARFID. Mm-hmm. What do you think they need to hear?
2: It is okay to struggle. There is nothing wrong with you. You are not a bad person. You're not broken. This is just one little part of your story. And if you can have, you know, those that 30 seconds of courage to pull somebody aside and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. I it's really, you know, hindering me. It's, it's not helping me. Um, I'm scared of this. I need help with this don't be afraid. It is really scary, but if you can just, or if you can get help yourself, you know, go on the internet, do a quick Google search, you know, Nita Renfrew. If you, if this resonates with you, there is help out there. You are not alone. I know everybody says it, but you truly, there are so many people who can help you so many different avenues that can make your life easier. And you one hundred percent. Can learn to grow past this fear, to channel this fear and make a change for your life. It's absolutely possible. And it's hard now and it might be hard for a while, but you absolutely can make a change. You can get help. That's what I would say. That's what I know, that's mm-hmm. what I needed to hear, mm-hmm. but I really want to emphasize it is okay to struggle.
1: Mm-hmm. That is
2: okay. It's okay if these things are scaring you, it doesn't always have to stay that way.
1: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank Thank you you so so much, Mia, for telling your story on here. I think that you are going to help so many people. Thank you for your vulnerability.
2: Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me.
0: Yeah, Mia, I just want to say too, thank you. Like, uh, you know, it's just, it's wonderful. Sam and I are both clinicians and we both started out at Renfrew as clinicians. And Mm -hmm. um, it is, you know, like you're the reason we exist, you know, like, thank you so much. And, And just- you know, kudos to you for really like stepping into that fear. Um, it is, it is big and it can feel overwhelming and scary. And, mm-hmm. um and the, the change is absolutely possible.
2: Right? Yes. Thank you. Um, and thank you guys. It's people like you who helped me so much. So oh. thank you for the work that
0: you do. It does not go unseen. Thank
2: you. Mia. Thank you, Mia.
0: And to our listeners, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of All Bodies, All Foods with Mia. Um, we we really appreciate having you here. And um, we hope that you got some information uh, both on ARFID and also just encouraged being encouraged and hopeful um by listening to Mia's story and thank you again Mia for sharing so if you liked this episode you can support us by subscribing rating and leaving a review and sharing this with others you can follow us on Facebook Instagram Twitter and TikTok at Renfrew Center For free education events, trainings, webinars, resources, and blogs, you can head to our website at www.renfrewcenter.com. And any comments or questions you would like us to answer in future episodes, you can send them to podcast at renfrewcenter.com. Thank you all again so much. Thank you for listening with us today on All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders.
1: We're looking forward to you joining us next time as we continue these conversations.